0: Hello, this is John Query, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. This is the final episode of a three-part special featuring world-renowned seismologist and disaster expert Dr. Lucy Jones, in which we discuss the intersection of scientific research and community activation. As we conclude our conversation, Lucy and I talk about how resilience can make a difference when disaster strikes, and how you can contribute to building resilience in your own community. Let's talk about earthquakes okay. and communities and where you've seen resilience make a difference in a community. I know you have you mentioned uh, that you've traveled uh, the world uh, in research uh, as a research scientist on seismology, but then I know in the later years you've traveled mm-hmm. the world as you look at communities of yeah. resilience. That's I know you've gone to Japan, you've gone to New Zealand yeah. and other places. What have you seen um, around earthquakes and community resilience that is... Is notable and should be maybe taken up here in the U.S.
1: I think some of the most resilient places I've seen. What probably the most concrete, explicit example of resilience is what I saw in northeastern Japan, where uh, they hit by the magnitude nine and the huge tsunami and the, the Fukushima Daiichi power plant disaster. Twenty eleven, and it's a twenty eleven, and. Um, uh, really, quite devastating to the community, and they have responded to it by becoming more deeply connected. There, I was meeting women that had left the region because it's very traditional and was a difficult place for women, and you know, who wanted to have a life on their own, um, going to Tokyo, and then coming back after the event because they saw their community imperiled, and that mattered so much to them, and they're working together on it, and there was a. Uh, I've been deeply touched by the the level of um, community commitment that has been the response to that disaster. But there's a couple, there's both a positive and a negative lesson in that one aspect of it is they have taken earthquake uh, construction so much more seriously there so that magnitude nine basically didn't damage a significant number of buildings. And they have been building to a higher standard than we have here where we accept only life safety. The other part is I think part of what let them come together is a relative homogeneity and I, we have a challenge that we have sort of a less we don't have these deep roots that many of these people were you know to have to this region where their families have been there for millennia right and and um I think the challenge in California is how do we make that California connection that is a celebration of diversity, but it creates, it means that you're coming from different places and tapping into different implicit cultural norms when you look at how the community comes together. And, you know, so I think the most important lesson to me out of this is we need to strengthen the community itself as the fundamental piece of resilience. Um, you know, as a scientist, I can look at at resilience and say systems fail where they're already weak. So it's the the levee that's got the problem is where the breach is going to happen in the flood, or the, the the bad part of the 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 old part of the water system where it's going to break. Um, you physically systems fail where they're already weak, but it's a, that's a statement of human reality as well, and where the human systems are weak or Badly connected is where the community is going to come apart. So the goal of just community, the strengthening the the connections within a community that we can have just because we want our community uh, are also is also the the goal that we need to do to get through the earthquake and um, and Los Angeles is rather famous for not doing community really well we have this image that we're all these transients and pass by on the freeway and never talk to each other. Um, And that's going to that's our weakness and that could be where we fail because it's the where the weakness already exists. So can we strengthen that? And there's lots of ways to do that which is a lot of what you're up to and I appreciate that. We can also use the earthquake because people are afraid of the earthquake that helps focus them. Let's use that to bring our communities together and fundamentally strengthen our community because that's the earth, the real earthquake resilience.
0: When we when we talk about this sort of community and earthquake resilience, it, it reminds me of the book that you wrote, The Big Ones, right? right. And uh, you looked at the truest uh, societal changing disasters in our in global history, history, how it changes humanity, and and you looked at a lot of examples, and I think that knowing what I know about you, having read the book Mm -hmm. that, you know, California hasn't seen our big earthquake in modern times. And people think that they're preparing for something that is what they already experienced. Right. And that sort of normalization bias? Yes. um, That comes from that. So I wonder, and you've, you've talked about that a bit, and we've heard you talk about community here. Is there something that didn't make it in the book about community and its resilience? I, that you you know there's so much research that you did I know I saw you uh, plowing <laughs> away through all this uh, material what didn't make it in that was is worth noting
1: hmm there were a couple of earthquakes that I ended up not including in it because I was sort of running out of energy and I could, I could have made it longer but I felt like I was repeating some ideas um, one of them was the, the 2010 Chile earthquake and um, one of the most interesting, they the things that really surprised me there, they have an all-volunteer fire department, um, and they were just adamant, how could you trust a professional fireman? I mean, if they're just being paid to do it, they aren't going to have the commitment to their community. And the volunteers, are these are people who live there, this is our homes, we're going to be more dedicated to it, which I found was this really interesting twist off of what we had. Um, but it was another place that the community, that, that feeling that um, responding to it has to be because you love it. And um, there more than anywhere else, I got that feeling of um, uh, you recover from the disaster because you love where you are and you're dedicated to it and want to stay.
0: And that's a message that you, you think is strong
1: it was, a, I think it's an incredibly important message. I sort of, like I debated back and forth getting it in and it just didn't seem to quite, I think it just didn't fit as I was finishing up the book. I mean, is that why the
0: work you do in the community is what it is, you think? Because I love it? Yeah. I mean, you really I, love this place.
1: I do, I do. I mean, I feel very much a Southern Californian. You know, we, we started there saying I'm fourth generation and the great, great grandparents, but you know, in the San Andreas Fault, but I got brought up here, with my mother having been brought up here, who just, this is, this is the best place in the world. You know, this is, California is something really special.
0: I, th- I think I remember, you know, the story you've told about um, experiencing an earthquake, well, uh, at a theme park in Southern California. And what, oh. how sort of quintessential California that is.
1: Oh, yeah, well, actually, I, I didn't experience, I was on Space Mountain, I right? Understand. Right, so I didn't feel a thing. Which earthquake was that? In 1979, Malibu earthquake. So it was in the Santa Monica Bay just south from Malibu, and my parents were living in Westchester. And they had stuff thrown off of shelves. They had some, a little bit of damage at the house. And I got home, and I hadn't even had any idea that, that the earthquake
0: had happened. Cause, because uh, you were on a roller coaster. Because I was on a Disneyland. roller coaster.
1: Right, right. Because you know. <laughs> I grew up, you know, I was, uh, Disneyland opened when I was three months old. And I could, uh, I went every year when I was little. Um, and I went every year when my kids were little. I haven't been for a while. I guess I so this, back.
0: this is uh, the, so, so just to reinforce this is this is your home. And do you think that's what it takes, or can someone learn that love to inspire action?
1: I there's two aspects of it, and I'm going to say this is coming from the science side. I I can see that I was more compelled than some of my colleagues to say I've got to turn this into social good. But there's a lot of people who do that. And that's really a feeling of just being an ethical person. If I have information that can save lives, it, don't I have an obligation to share it? Um, and that is, you know, it's, it's not universal, but that is a feeling that I think a, peop- a lot of people have. And as scientists, that could be what matters. I mean, that becomes a connection with the larger community, the community of humanity. I mean, there's some types of information. if you're Really, you know, curing cancer. <laughs> Let's keep on working at curing cancer, please. Thank you very much. Um, and and that's a dedication to the community that's a bit more abstract, right. but no less real. The type of work that we ended up doing here, um, I think, is is driven by, does you know, the help for the community. I other communities ask me to come and talk. I may be going up and doing some work in Oregon. Um, and it feels just much more abstract to me than than here. And you know, and I think the time that spent in L.A. between you and Mayor Garcetti and me, we were all long-time, multi-generational Southern Californians yeah. to whom the region
0: really mattered. And that made a difference in L.A. for sure. And 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 it's you know a small percentage of L.A. And and but resilience inherently is if it's based on what you said is based in community has to be localized. You can't. Right. It can't be abstract.
1: You know, the emergency managers will say all disasters are local. You might have a federal response and federal money, but inherently what's going on is local.
0: And all, poli- uh, all politics is local. I mean, if you think about elected officials, it all comes down to what's happening in your front yard, on your street, on your block.
1: And that means resilience has to be local. Because it's disaster and politics put together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's an interesting definition. Resilience is disasters plus politics uh, equals either positive or negative, negative resilience, resilience. Yes. Right? So how does how does a community member listening to this say, okay, I love my neighborhood, I love my community. What do they do about earthquake? If they're in Southern California, if they're in California, if they're
1: okay. they, whatever disaster
0: they face, how do they build it? What do you what do you what's okay. your advice?
1: Number one, get some real science information, figure out what your real risk is. Um, We human beings are not wired to process risk rationally. We have, we are evolved to respond to risk in a way that helps you faced with a predator chasing you down on the Savannah, right? And some of that is logical and some of it's not. So get, you know, Invest the time and be try to be as open-minded as you can about what are your real risks um, It might be debris flows You might be at a lot more risk from debris flows than earthquakes depending on your community uh, wildfire risk is growing you know, you know, figure it out and then there's Resilience is gonna be Three parts. There's what you do individually and that tends to be the way we think about it. Mostly. That's what where people focus and it's important, but it's far from sufficient. The second level is at community, community organizations. And that's, you know, don't do this alone. Go to your neighbor, go to your church, go to, let's do this together, let's plan together. How are we going to help each other afterwards? And then there's what you do at sort of the next level up of local government. And that means letting your elected officials know that this matters to you. Yes, I want to invest some money in infrastructure because you know we it, we complain about potholes and roads or we've got problems with the water system. They're irritating now; they are ca- ca- potentially catastrophic in the disaster. And that investment in fundamental infrastructure, um, you know, an elected official is going to do what his constituents want. And if he doesn't hear about this, he's not going to be responding to it. If he does. Maybe it's not going to respond wide away, but enough people start saying it, it's gonna make a difference. And let's let's elevate those infrastructure, boring infrastructure issues, the fun sort of the the bones of our community, up to say they're important.
0: Well, it's three three parts to a complex equation. It it's no easy feat to do that. It takes time. Um, but you gotta start.
1: We gotta start. And and it, you know, it's part of a lot of other things. If you help your church get more resilient, you're also just helping the church upgrade, right?
0: right. And building a stronger That's community. Where
1: right. You know, in addition to these these three things of individual organizations and, and government, there's also the corporate side of a community. I mean, a, a community has businesses in it, and they are part of the community and they depend on it, and they're going to be. a Really fundamental part of recovery of resilience. Um, if the business doesn't survive the disruption, those are jobs that disappear, and then those are people that disappear because they don't have the job.
0: So, where are you seeing examples of this uh, steps being taken by business?
1: Well, I, some of them um, really are saying, "Okay, we're part of this." There's there's some businesses where it's it's part of their business to do right. That's you're going to see the most likely if you if you're building earthquake. You know, resisting systems, uh, you're going to be out there really trying to do it. But um, there's other, you know, your your big employers, your um, or, or start recognizing that that infrastructure is necessary for you to do your job. If you, you know, it's it's interesting when you really look at a, a startup, an entrepreneur. That's somebody who doesn't believe that real risk, the ordinary risks, apply to them. Right, because if you thought, if you really have analyzed the risks of starting a business, you probably wouldn't do it. Right? You've got to believe that you're better than average and you're gonna be the one that pulls out. So you're inherently somebody who doesn't do a lot of risk management. Right? Um, but, and, and I think you see, like in Silicon Valley, the, those guys are all crazy entrepreneurs that took incredible risks and, and pulled it out. So they're inherently, the, they don't think about it in those terms, but they're now turning into trillion dollar companies. And they're starting to go, whoa, <laughs> this isn't, we can't just treat this the same way. And, you know, we're starting to see quite a bit of, like, I don't know, earthquake planning going on in, in the Bay Area, uh, among the, the the Silicon Valley, the tech giants. Um, and it's a new endeavor for them, because they, they cause, and it's part of that transition from being a crazy little startup to a, a
0: major company. I heard, I heard one of them say that they realize that even if they don't want to be part of the community for the recovery, people are going to look to them because they're shiny and bright and they may have the lights on because they've done some internal planning. And right. so people will flock to them anyway and they need to sort of plan for how the community will be received by their campus or their stores or whatever the case may be.
1: Right. And they have to be they have to actually be up, right? right? And so there's, there's sort of this, this stage. It Doesn't apply to me, oh, wait a minute, oh, I'm big. I really got a plan for this. I got a plan for my community. Wait a minute, I got a plan for the surrounding community because they're gonna be turning to me. But also there's the flip side. You aren't gonna be up and running if your local community hasn't invested in good water pipes, right? Uh, so how do you then turn and say, help the community get good water pipes and don't have them just say, well, you want you have money, why don't you pay for it? Right? So, it's a place where you've got to start coming together, and once you really look at the disaster issues, you start realizing you don't get to do it alone. Your success is going to depend on somebody else's success, and vice versa, and that, that web of community starts closing in on you again. And, and so, for there's a lot of people who are just more comfortable going off on their own, and that works to some extent, but disasters are a time when doing it on your own is a lot less likely to be successful.
0: This is great so I'd like to I'd like to start our lightning round. who is a leader who has influenced you in your work
1: Eric Carcetti
0: What was your worst media interview?
1: Oh that one's easy uh, the time I lost my temper and said you've got to understand on a global scale this is a puny earthquake <laughs>
0: Is that early in your follow up? Is that early in your career? Nineteen
1: ninety one. Somebody was trying to argue that the magnitude five here in L A. must have been caused by the eruption of Mount Pinatubo.
0: If you had a magic wand, what's one law you would pass to build stronger communities?
1: Oh, better water pipes.
0: Door frames, good or bad? Bad. What book has changed the way you think about your work in community?
1: Katherine Schultz's Being Wrong, uh, Adventures in the Margin of Error, recognizing why scientists think differently and how, well, our inability to admit that we're wrong influences so many things.
0: When an earthquake strikes, what do you, Dr. Lucy Jones, do in the first 30 minutes?
1: First thirty minutes. Yeah, it's so, so, Okay, so not first I drop cover. Hold on, hopefully, right? right. right I kept myself safe. Um, I used to be that I then ran to the office to right. get the information. Now at least I go to my computer to get the information. Um, there's something within a minute, um, and now I tweet it because I can put it out on Twitter and eliminate the need for an awful lot of interviews.
0: So what happens three hours? after an earthquake?
1: All right, so a big enough earthquake, we're really looking at what the data are. After an earthquake, other earthquakes happen. It's the only time we know when earthquakes are going to happen. So making sure our recording systems are working properly is incredibly important. And I no longer get paid by the USGS, but I'm going to want to be making sure what that is. By three hours out, we're really going to know, have a handle on what sort of aftershock sequence we're starting to go into what the faults are, uh, probably have a pretty good handle on where the damage is, whether or not we're gonna be talking about casualties. Um, and uh, you know, if we're talking about a four and a half that really hasn't damaged much, just really scared a lot of people, I'm probably doing interviews. If we are talking about a significant earthquake that's really causing problems, I'm probably talking with policymakers at that point that are gonna be asking me for information, what should I be doing? My guess is I'll be getting calls from City Hall and from Sacramento and asking for help.
0: Other than food and water, what should someone have uh, secured, procured uh, immediately after an earthquake in a densely populated urban area?
1: Um, I would have cash because without electricity, and your credit card isn't working.
0: What advice do you give 25-year-old you?
1: Hmm. It's going to be more fun than you thought.
0: <laughs> what was the best career decision you ever made?
1: Starting multi-hazards. It changed why I did my life.
0: What so far has been your proudest professional moment?
1: Oh, the, what happened with the city of Los Angeles, the Resilience by Design program. It was science getting used in a way that I couldn't have imagined at the beginning of my career.
0: Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.